Good morning. It's good to have this number out with us for our morning half of our worship service. I don't know if it's y'all or if it's me. It seems like y'all getting further and further away every time. I, don't, I know y'all sitting in the same place, but I looked up, it's like, y'all way back yonder. And no, I'm not having one of my spells that I usually have. But uh, <laughs> 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 Melissa knows what I'm talking about. All right. This morning, I want us to talk about something that Christ told us to do. As we dive in this morning, we're going to look into, as soon as I get my Bible cooperate here, in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. We think about the thing that Ananias told Saul at the time. He says, calling on the name of the Lord. That's, uh, we're going to get into that at the end of this lesson. But before we do that, we need to know how to first come to the Lord. First, we hear this from Christ. To, if anyone desires to come after me, take up their cross and follow me daily. What a wonderful thought that we're going to read this morning. I know that was really fast, but we're going to read it very slowly. What a wonderful thing to know that us as fallible human beings can take up our cross, realizing we have sin, can get forgiveness of those sins, and can follow Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's think back a little further. Let's think about the, the thing that scared him the most. It, it, it terrified him. He, he even asked for the cup to be passed. I know a lot of people say, well, it was a death on the cross. It was something happening on the cross that he was wanting the cup to be passed. He knew in, in his side, in his uh, glorious task that the Father in heaven gave him to do, he had to die on that cross for our sins. He knew he had to be that sacrifice. Folks, this is God. This is, this is the mind of God put on flesh just like you and I feel, feel things sick. We know that, that he's, he was a human being. And he felt pain, suffering. That cup to be passed was being separated from his father for the first time ever. I, I, I try to drill that point into folks' heads because they, they think, well, he was Christ. He was, he was God. And why did he use the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That connection was severed when you took your sins on. As he is teaching here in Mark chapter 8, actually we're going to read in verse 34, but that instruction comes from about halfway of verse 34. Something we can do today, as they was instructed to do way back then. Following Christ. It's, it's a, a necessity for salvation. Now, I know, I know there's a lot of teaching out there that you can go however you want to, and there's multiple ways to, of God, and there's multiple ways of getting to heaven, and you can come to God any which way, form, and fashion. That is false doctrine. That is false teaching. The, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, teaches one way. One way. We find that in John 14, 6. Whenever he says, I am the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by or through me. We think about that. We think about the, the pathway that has been cut in the forest before us. I don't use the word paved because driving on a paved road is easy. Staying away from sin is difficult. Combating Satan every single day is that term straight, difficult. So as we open back up again, open to Mark chapter 8, 
in verse 34, we read this. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Before we move into verse 35, notice what Christ says. He uses the word desire. We studied this verse not too long ago here at Booth Chapel, and we, we now know and understand what the word desire means. It's taking precedence in our life. It's having a strong yearning for. It's putting something first, and that's this desire. If anyone desires to come after me, Christ is referring to his ascension. Christ is referring to his lifestyle that he's living that leads to his ascension. Yes, he died. He died on the cross. He was in the grave three days in paradise, as we made mention of in Bible class this morning. And he descended into heaven after those three days by, seeing, by being seen of many folks after being crucified. Now, at this day, he's the right hand of God. He's also, he can also be in multiple places at once as well, whereas he wants to be in your hearts. For as we take up our cross, and as we deny ourselves and follow him daily, he abides in our hearts. Now, whenever we say this, we also find the instructions from Christ himself as we are abiding in his love. How is to one abide in his love? By keeping his commandments. Period. Whenever we keep Christ's commandments, we abide in his love just as he abided in his Father's love. Christ also teaches that greater love than no one has for anyone is to lay one's life down for his friends. Christ did that for us, folks. And he's teaching here, if we, if we choose, if we desire, if we want to, that earnestly yearning for heaven, we got to deny ourselves. What does it mean to deny myself? It means to put everything else on the back burner. It means to put Christ first. Every day. Not just on Sunday. Not just on Sunday night. Not just on Wednesday. Yes, those are important to put Christ on first. And we have instructions through the scriptures more, more, more important in Romans chapter 13. Submit to the higher powers. Those higher powers also applies to those leaders of the church. And in verse 35 of Mark chapter 8, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now my mind goes back to Saul in his early days when he thought he was glorifying God. Now this is the type of losing one's life for Christ's sake. What was Saul doing to the church? We're going to read that. But Saul was doing some horrible things that he never really could forgive himself. Later, as he changed, as his name was changed from Saul to Paul, well, previous before that changing, he was converted. He no longer did those horrible things to Christians. I'll give you a sneak peek. He was killing them. 
He was killing his soon-to-be brothers and sisters in Christ. But yet still let's look at those individuals who died for being a Christian. What does Christ say? We'll save it. The last three words in verse 35. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. That's letting something come before Christ upon this earth. will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That's kind of a, a, an odd saying, is it not? So to, to lose my life, i got to save it, and to save my life, i got to lose it. Well, Paul, that's what, that's what Paul, that's what Jesus Christ just said. Now that's not saying going out there and purposely ending your life. That is not what that is saying. You notice what he says, for my sake. How often do we defend the gospel? How often do we stand up for it? Now, yes, this day and age, in, in 2021, we're not killed for being a Christian. Not in this country. Other countries, not so much. They are actually still being killed for being a Christian. I learned that a few years ago. I was kind of floored because we're used to the comforts of freedom of religion. Are we following Jesus Christ? That is a wonderful question we need to ask ourselves. Well, let's look at verse 36, the idea of putting something before Christ in this world. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We need to take notice of this because it applies to us here in 2021 just as much as it did in the first century. How many times do we put things before God? How many, times, how many times do we put things before Jesus Christ and his instructions for us to follow? The word desire is there in verse 34. Do we desire the promise that God has given us? I hope so. Whenever we put things off and put Christ first, that's an idea of not gaining the whole world because what's going to happen to this world one day? We find that first Peter. It's going to be gone. It's going to be burned up. There's nothing going to be left to there's nothing going to be left to enjoy. Oh, but everlasting life is offered to those who are faithful. So what would we trade for our souls? What would we trade for an everlasting life with God in heaven? The world says anything. The world says whatever I can get my hands on. Whatever I can set my eyes upon. How much can I put in my bank account? That's what the world says. Satan has the blinders on. I say that often because they're blinded. They're spiritually blind. Just like we're going to kind of briefly glance over Saul. The world has overtaken them. Matthew chapter 7 encourages us to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven, not on things of the earth. Because the things of the earth are going to be gone one day. Moth, rust, destroy us, thieves break in to steal. Verse 37 refers to that. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? As I just previously said, the world says whatever. Whatever. Folks, we are not of this world. 
as a child of God, we are not of this world. We need to keep that thought into our minds. We can't let the ways of the world be enticing. It is, but we don't need to succumb to it. We need to tell, oh, Satan, we want nothing to do with it. Because that's the orchestrator of those enticements. That's the author of those encouragements to go and disobey God. That didn't come from God. That came from Satan. We made mention this morning of Adam and Eve, just briefly. But what a wonderful example of losing your soul. Just one bite of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Just the one little bite. I hope it tasted good. Because look at us today. We are dealing with sin. We are dealing with death. We're dealing with destruction. Because on that day when God created everything, he looked at it and said it was good. And then Satan intervened. Sin revived. And you and I died to this day. Unfortunately, there is a second death. Unfortunately. That second death is way, way worse than that first one. So let's not give up our soul in exchange for anything as a child of God. Let's desire to be where Christ is at the right hand of God. Colossians 3, 4 instructs us to make sure that Christ is our life because He is going to appear. And only, no, if and only if, He is our life. That, that saying is, are we behaving like a Christian? Are we doing the things Christ has instructed us to do? Have we desired to follow after Him? If we have done that, Colossians 3, 4 says that we can appear with Him in glory. Folks, that's a lot of encouragement from God's Word. To know that even though we're fallible human beings, and we do, we, we, we disobey God on a daily basis. We can get forgiveness of those sins as a child of God. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from those sins as we confess those sins. Previous to that, we must repent of that sin that separated us from God because that separation yet still happens. We can lose our soul even after baptism. Folks would say, huh? That's impossible. It is possible. You don't think that's impossible. If you think that's impossible, then I'm going to briefly read over Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Sinning willfully, losing that sacrifice for sin, that being Christ. Oh, but then that realizing that you have sin in your heart, realizing what you have done is wrong, well, you should expect that fiery indignation that, that, that's going to devour the adversaries. Folks, that's Hebrews 10, verse 26 and 27. I say those verses often because it's important to remember them. So let's make sure we're desiring to come after Christ. In verse 34, you notice what Christ says, that first word he says. Whoever. It means it's ready, willing, and able, ready, willing, and available to all. Whoever. You, me, and the worst person that has ever lived upon this earth. My mind goes to, oh, uh, I just lost a thought. Oh, uh, Hitler. Well, I, I, I'm glad I lost that thought, but I needed to get it back for a second. Now we'll put him on the back burner. He's pretty good. He's a pretty bad guy. He did some horrible things, did he not? Most assuredly. So we think about that example. Folks, we can look just like Hitler on Judgment Day. 
Your mouth may just hit the floor. Well, I ain't nothing like no Hitler. Hitler was a murderer. I've never murdered anybody. Whosoever desires to come after me, let him take up him, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Other scriptures are going to say David. It's a continual, it's implied there in verse 34. It's a continual following. That don't just mean on Sunday, Sunday night and Wednesday night. It means every single day. And if we're not doing that, if we have not desired to come after Christ, I'm going to get right back, right back to the example of standing before God looking like Hitler. We use him as an example because he did some horrible things. Society knows he did some horrible things. He's in the past. He's waiting his judgment, sadly. We can stand before God not expecting a sad judgment. John teaches in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 that we can know that we have salvation. Does he not say that there? He does. He says those who believe in the name of the Son of God can know that we have salvation so as we may continue. That idea of continually following Christ, taking up our cross, denying ourselves, and follow after Christ. Are we doing that? Or are we doing it falsely? All right, turn with me to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. What a wonderful example of this as Saul. Not Paul. He's, he's a little bit later in, in the time frame here. He's going to be Paul, but right now he's Saul. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee. And he is the youngest man on the Sanhedrin court. I could say that because he takes... He, uh, he holds the close in verse 20 of Acts chapter 22. He says that, consenting to Stephen's death. But previous to that, in Acts chapter 22, he's talking about his conversion. Before he's talking about his conversion, in verse 3 of Hebrews, Acts chapter 22. I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are all today. I persecuted this way to death, there it is, to death. Of the way is those in Christ, those following Christ's instructions. Christians we call ourselves today, they call themselves of the way. Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. He wasn't a discerner of sexes. Both men and women. He was killing them. He was throwing them in prison for what he was doing from the instructions from the high priest in Jerusalem. As also the high priest bears me witness that all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened. Here we go. Previous to this, in, previous to this encounter of the, on the road to Damascus, Saul was zealous in the eyes of God. He, what he's saying there, he says, What I was doing was right. I thought it was. I, I, I thought I was doing right. I thought I was pleasing God in my act by getting these folks who are of the way, who was against our 
Father's strictness law, the, the, the strictness of the law, they were against it. They weren't doing it, but they, they thought they were good. So I'm going to go get them. And I was zealous. I was bold in it. I thought I was glorifying God. This was Saul. Today we know him as Paul in our great many writings. Now verse 6. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus and about noon and suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's Jesus Christ now. So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Could you imagine Saul at that time's demeanor? He knew who Jesus was. He knew who he was. Whoa, this light shone around me and this voice speaking to me said, I am Jesus. It was without a shadow of a doubt who was speaking unto him. That was God. So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and, uh, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. Huh. Let's stop right there for a second. And we're going to turn back to Acts chapter 9. The instructions from others are important. I'm going to have to hurry. The instructions from others are important. Acts chapter 9, we see the Lord talking to Ananias in verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from me about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Previous to this, Christ told Ananias, go into the city, find Saul in the house of Judas, and tell him what he must do. Right, but Ananias rebuked him. He realized that this same Saul was killing Christians. Saul was a count. So he was giving an account of it in Acts chapter 22. That was Saul talking. All right? Acts chapter 9, we see Ananias telling, Lord, I understand who he is. I'm kind of rebuking. I've heard what he's done. Can we find somebody else, so to speak? But the Lord said to him, that being Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen vessel. Notice this. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. The same man who's, called, who's killing Christians, hauling to prison, this same Saul, Christ says, that man, right there, he's my chosen vessel. Go tell him what he must do. And what does Ananias do? Verse 17. He didn't rebuke no more, did he? He didn't fuss. He didn't say, but. No, he said. He didn't say, he didn't say anything. He just went. Listen, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying his hands on him, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 of Acts chapter 9. Back over to Acts chapter 22. Hopefully you kept your finger in there. <clears throat> Acts 
Back to it, back to verse 11. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, this is Saul speaking, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, we just learned the instructions from uh, the Lord to Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me as he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that same hour I looked up at him. He received his sight. And then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, verse 16, why are you waiting? Your King James may say, why tarriest thou? He's asking, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. There it is, calling on the name of the Lord. That is following the instructions from Christ. That is what calling on the Lord, name of the Lord means. Calling on the name of the Lord doesn't say, Oh, Lord, Lord, take me into your heart. Lord, Lord, I receive you into my heart. Lord, forgive me. Without Christ's blood, that avails nothing. It doesn't do one thing. What did Ananias tell Saul? Of course, later to be Paul. He told him, What are you waiting for? Here's your instructions. Arise. Be baptized. For, for what? For the remission of sins. Washing your sins away. A washing, washing away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. A lot of folks take that calling on the name of the Lord out of context. It don't mean picking up your telephone. Dial his number. If you have God's number that way, let me know. I need to ask him a few things. Calling on the name of the Lord comes through Christ. Comes through obedience. And we can call on God. We can talk to Him one, and one on one. And folks, He answers too if we listen real carefully. We take notice of the things that's going on in our life. Folks, God gives us blessings. He has gave us one important blessing already. And that was His Son. Whenever we follow Jesus Christ, when we're immersed for the remission of sins, that calling on the name of the Lord begins. And we're walking this world faithfully. Folks, that promise, as if you're doing so, is everlasting life. What a blessing. What a wonderful thought to think of. Everlasting life. Spending an eternity with our Heavenly Father. No sin, no sorrow, no death, no destruction, no sin, no tears. We sing a wonderful song, No Tears in Heaven. What a beautiful song. I'm, I can't wait, but I must. So as must you as well. To see God in His glory. Previous to that, we get to see Christ in His glory. But that day is going to be terrifying for some. Some are going to want to crawl under a rock and hide. That rock ain't going to save them. Their sins won't be covered. And they'll be doomed to spend an eternity in that lake of fire. Folks, that lake of fire was designed for Satan. We find that in Revelation 20, verse 10. Have no partakings of that lake. We have an opportunity today, right now, to get forgiveness of our sins. 
We have an opportunity right now to be saved. We have an opportunity right now to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus Christ. Hey, does that start? Does that walk need to start today? Have you yet to be immersed or baptized for the remission of sins? Don't wait any longer. What did Ananias tell Saul? What are you waiting for? If you're waiting for the coming Christ, well, that's going to be too late. Arise. Be baptized for the remission of sins and have that connection with the cleansing power of the blood of Christ as we learn about in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and the few verses following. Our instructions there in verse 9 is to confess our sins after baptism. Repenting of those things that we have done that's displeasing in the eyes of God and we can get forgiveness yet again. Because walking a path that's already been walked by the Lord and Savior, being faithful unto death, that's the difficult part because sin is so easy. This being displeasing in the eyes of God is so easy. So is repentance. So is to stop doing it. To focus back yet on that promise that comes from our Lord and Savior, everlasting life. If we decide to come after the Father, deny ourselves. Put Christ first and follow Him. He promises the crown of life if we're faithful. How faithful are we this morning? Are we saying, not as I should be? Let's correct that. Let's get those sins out and get forgiveness yet again and walk a path that's on the straight and the narrow that leads to everlasting life. Do you need to get back on that path? Why don't we do so as we stand, as we sing the song of invitation?